My husband came of age during the late 80s and early 90s. And if you were a black person around that time, you might recall that there were certain items of clothing that were very popular, um, namely things like starter jackets. Um, and I remember my husband telling me stories about how his mom was legitimately afraid of buying him and his brothers, because he only had brothers, um, of buying them starter jackets because she was afraid that some of the other boys in the neighborhood or some of the older boys who are involved in gangs um, and were frankly somewhat dangerous would see them and take the jacket and literally kill them in the process. She was afraid that having that jacket um, or giving her sons those jackets would actually get them killed. And so if you, if you put yourself in the situation or put yourself in the shoes of that mom who first of all has to make that decision of whether or not she's going to get the jacket or not, right? Like his, his mom made one decision, but another mom, other moms made other decisions, right? So there are plenty of young you know, folks walking around with that jacket. If you put yourself in the position of a parent who you know, does that for your child and then one day they come home and tell you that in fact, what you feared would happen has happened that their jacket was stolen and taken from them. Of course, the first thing is like, thank goodness my child is okay, right? Like they, at least they made it home. That's number one, obviously. But number two, you have a child who has been through a traumatic experience and has had their jacket ultimately taken from them. And so you as the parent have to figure out what do you wanna do next? So you have to factor in, do I want to potentially put my kid in danger again? right? That's part of the calculus you have to make. If you're the parent who says, no, I'm not going to let these teenage boys, you know, scare our family or scare my child into submission in that way. And yes, I'm going to get them, you know, another jacket and replace it. Then you may ask yourself as a parent, if I'm getting one of my kids a new jacket, do I need to get it for all of them? Now, I think most people would agree that if you're in this situation as the parent, you're likely just gonna get the jacket for the person who has been traumatized and the person who has suffered the harm of having their jacket stolen and that your other kids don't need that because they haven't gone through that experience, which is logical and that makes sense. What I've done here is I've just given you a real world example of the difference between equality and equity. Equality in that situation would be all the kids get a new jacket because one of them is. Equity, on the other hand, takes into account the factors of the situation that led to that circumstance and, and asks the question, who needs what resource in order to be made whole? And in that case, you only have one child who's been through that incident, so it makes sense to just get that one child the jacket to make them whole from what they've experienced. Now, that is a fairly long example. Like if you're in a position of trying to explain the difference between equity and equality to someone, that's a fairly long example. So I'll give you my example that's much quicker. Equality is everybody gets a t-shirt, whereas equity is everybody gets a t-shirt that fits. So again, it's taking into account the unique circumstances of that person who we're talking about. Now, for a really long time since the civil rights era, we've been talking about and championing equality, and we've like equality, equality, equality. And to be clear, I want equality as well. However, I do think those who were doing the work um, in the 60s and the 70s of trying to get to some sort of racial justice may have miscalculated a couple of things in their efforts to try to improve the living conditions of black and brown people in the United States. First of all, I think they underestimated that 
people's minds and hearts just don't shift overnight. So just because you get the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, it doesn't necessarily mean people are going to execute the law fully and faithfully like they're supposed to if they've been socialized to think that white people are better than black and brown people. But two, I think there was a mistake that was made in terms of not recognizing that in order to actually get to real equality, which is what we were constantly asking for, you actually have to go through equity to get there. So it's like saying, I'm gonna give everyone the exact same supports, knowing full well that our country was founded where some people got way more supports and other people got absolutely no support. And to pretend like that that's not a factor, like that shouldn't be a factor in the calculus and saying, where we're gonna make everything and everybody equal and not do the work of redress that is necessary in order to actually have everybody on the same level playing field, to me, that doesn't make sense. You're talking about centuries worth of harm that were done to black and brown people, specifically indigenous people and those who are descendants of slaves. That's decades worth of harm you're not going to fix that in a decade or two in order to even be in order to even be able to begin to have a conversation about actually being on a level playing field it's going to take a lot of time and energy and effort and a lot of policy and a lot of court cases that have to go through and frankly a lot of changes in how we socialize people to think about their racialized identities before we can even begin to get to having a conversation about truly being in an equal space where we can say, we are gonna give everybody the same supports and expect everyone has to have the same and equal opportunity to do the same things with those supports. Now, the anti-CRT crowd is likely going to push back on that hard and say, what the hell do you mean you don't have all the same rights as we do? And what the hell do you mean you don't have all the same access to equal opportunity as we do? And they will likely say things to you like, equity is just basically reverse racism and things like that. And so one, be prepared for that. But two, when that argument comes up, there's a couple ways I like to deal with it and try to help folks who genuinely may not understand this help them navigate through it. The ones who genuinely don't understand it as opposed to the ones who are just saying that because it sounds good. So if you're in a place of where you're trying to explain this to someone who's who's legitimately struggling, one of the examples I like to give just for my own life as a black person is that when I'm in a predominantly white working space, I have to watch the dialect of English that I'm speaking because I know that if I code switch and speak Ebonics, if you will, or African-American vernacular English as some like to call it as well, um, it's probably going to get me into trouble <laughs> because it's not seen as professional enough. And even though I'm supposed to be my authentic self and I have equal opportunity to have that job, if I can't speak however I feel comfortable speaking, as long as I'm not using profanity, for example, or I'm not being verbally abusive, obviously, but if I can't speak a different dialect of English without that potentially costing me my job, then the question becomes, do I really have equal opportunity to have that job? Do I really have equal access to that job if I have to change the way that I speak in order, frankly, to make white people more comfortable? Another example that I like to point out in addition to something like that is the fact that if we were truly in an equal society, black and brown people would not still be having the same conversation 
that frankly we've been having for hundreds of years. Like if this problem were actually solved, believe me you, we would have moved on by now. I think some of the anti-CRT folks and some of the folks who are against, you know, having anti-racist education, not just in schools, but in the government and in organizations, like they're coming for all of it, frankly. And those folks, I'm like, do you really think that we wanna be still talking about this shit? Like, do you really think we don't have anything else we'd rather be doing and that we still wanna be going around in this merry-go-round with you about this? Do they really think that people wanna be in the streets trying to exercise their First Amendment right, knowing that there's a good chance that they're going to get tear gassed and hit with rubber bullets because they really don't have anything else that could be they could be doing? Do they think that those of us who are equity practitioners want to carry around this emotional labor like we don't have any other skill sets to where we could secure the bag because because trust and believe let me tell you let me just stop there and tell y'all just so y'all know for that for those folks who are like the equity and inclusion industry is a billion dollar industry and they're just trying to make money blah blah blah, blah all that kind of stuff let me explain something to you people right now you are a fool and a half if you think for an iota of a second that myself, I'll speak for myself as an equity practitioner, that I would not take the deal of waking up in a world where racial liberation were actually achieved and using some other skill sets that I've got to secure the bag. If you think there are no other skill sets that myself and a lot of other equity practitioners have that we could secure the bag, like this is all we got, you are sadly mistaken. For myself, the peace of mind would be great and I could be doing something else that I love to do and still be financially solvent. The reason I choose to do this is because it's my calling because clearly we're still having the same conversations we've had for centuries and we're just not there yet. There are too many stories about police brutality that's funded by our tax dollars. And there are too many stories about black and brown people who face microaggressions at school and at work. And there are too many times and too many stories of people telling where the justice system has failed to ensure them accountability. And there are too many stories about black women, including myself, who are afraid to be pregnant because we don't wanna end up becoming the next maternal mortality statistic. All of these reasons and so many more are why we continue to champion the work of equity as a pathway to true equality and racial liberation. In other words, these experiences are what make up our deep story. We are not demanding special treatment. We're demanding restitution. What we're saying is that you can't hope to get to an actual equal society where we can have a legitimate conversation about merit and meritocracy when the historical foundations are in racial inequality and that we have not adequately addressed them. What we're demanding, especially from white people, is to leave the scarcity mindset behind and tap into your humanity instead.